Welcome to the podcast of Pastor Joseph Castillo from All Nations International Fellowship. Enjoy this podcast while you're doing household chores, riding your car, or even your morning devotions. I trust the living word of God to change your life forever. Visit us online at www.anifbeijing.com. But in the book, I talked very briefly about the impact of the soul. And you realize, when you study the Word of God, you realize a, a particular truth, that the salvation that you experience in your life is directly tied to the understanding of the Word of God that comes into your soul. So you're saved to the degree of the salvation of your soul. And we understand that the word salvation, you know, when we're grazed in the church, we're just so used to the word salvation, salvation, Jesus saves. But, you know, a secular person would ask you, Jesus saves you from what? What does he actually save you from? And if you don't really know the word of God, you don't really know how to respond to that. What does he save you from? So we, we have a, a misunderstanding of that word salvation that the Greeks don't have. The Greeks have a total understanding of what salvation means because salvation is, in my English vernacular, a soteria. Soteria. Sounds like the Korean loteria, right? Soteria, which means deliverance, healing, protection, preservation. So salvation means more than just going to heaven. So every time that we see the word salvation in the Bible, that Jesus came to save us, that God so loved the world, that he can save the world, we have to get out of this kind of uh, you know, religious understanding that he didn't just die so the world can go to heaven, but he, he, he died, the actual word meaning he died so the world can be healed. He died so the world can be delivered. He died so the world can have peace. He died so the world can have prosperity. Prosperity is part of salvation. So we have to come to a greater understanding of what Jesus did that it's not just make us, give us a ticket to heaven, but he made it so that we can have heaven here on earth and that the hell that the devil planned and the devil put into our lives, that Jesus would come into our lives and destroy that hell and restore what the enemy has used to take and bring hell and chaos and havoc into our families and into our lives. But to the degree of salvation that you'll actually experience, is based upon the soul to the amount of the word of God that comes into your soul that you understand, that you believe, that you receive, that you take into your heart and then through the soul you are transformed. Romans 12, 1 says through the renewing of your mind you are transformed. So through the renewing of your mind you receive the good news, you hear the good news, your life is changed and hell has to go. Do you understand how that works? So to the degree of the amount of the word of God that actually takes root in your soul is to the degree of the salvation of God that you'll have in your life. Do you hear me? So Matthew 22, 37 says this. Jesus said to the, uh, somebody came to him and they challenged him and, and Jesus responded and said to him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. Somebody say soul. And with all thy mind. This is the first 
and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Isn't that something? Our relationship with God is number one, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that number two is your relationship with man, that you will love your neighbor as yourself, pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? A relationship with God and relationship with people, that we will love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and love people just like we love ourselves. That's interesting that Jesus said that upon that hangs all the law and the prophets because even the Ten Commandments, the first several commandments of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with God. You'll have no other idols before me. You'll not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But then the rest of the Ten Commandments deal with your relationship with man. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not cover your neighbor's cattle. You shall not, you know, you should not, you know, uh, bear false witness. So we even see that the law and the prophets, that even in the Ten Commandments, we see these two commandments hanging upon those two things. Things. The first several commandments dealing with our relationship with God and the rest dealing with our relationship with man. And as we discussed earlier on this year, that oftentimes in our striving and in the Pharisees and in the Sadducees striving to have this uh, fulfill the first part of the commandments, which is to love God with all your heart, mind and soul, that they began to not love their neighbor striving to serve God with all their heart, and they began to look down on their neighbor when they caught that woman in adultery. Of course, people always say, where is the man, right? If there was a woman, there must have been a man in adultery there too, right? But they caught the woman in adultery. They pulled her down. They wanted to stone her. And isn't it interesting that they wanted to stone her because they were trying to love God with all their heart, mind, and all their soul, But what they weren't doing is they weren't loving her as themselves. That's why Jesus said, you that hasn't sinned, cast the first stone. In other words, he was saying, love her as you would love yourself. Because you know you sinned, and I don't see you stoning yourself. Right? It's like in the Philippines, they beat themselves. Am I right? They beat themselves. He said, I don't see you stoning yourselves. So why are you going to stone her? Love your neighbor as you do yourself. So in trying to serve God, they, were, they, they forgot about loving people. So we have to remember in the church that, yes, we should love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, but we also have to love the homosexuals. We also have to love the Satanists. We also have to love, here's the hardest one, your brother and sister in the Lord that you see in the bar on your WeChat moments. That's harder than the homosexual, amen? You expect them to sin, but you know they should be in church. And you see them in Stanley Tour. <laughs> I thought you deleted that picture. Are you recording the message or today or no? Yeah, it's recorded, amen. You could, we'll edit that out later on. But you, but you see them in Stanley Tour. It's hard to love them as yourself, amen? But if you were in Stanley Tour, you'd forgive yourself, Amen? So you have to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you hear me? But we oftentimes, the harder we strive towards God, the more we begin to want to cast stones at other people. Because we're trying so hard. Like, man, I wanted to go to Stanley Tour, but I didn't. I stayed home bored. But they're there. 
damn them. They're having more fun than me. You see, we're... When we become a Pharisee, we become a Sadducee, we work so hard and we deny ourselves so much and we struggle so much to be holy and we see somebody else not being holy, there's a tendency to want to judge them and to condemn them. It's a natural tendency. That's why these two things hang all the law and the prophets. Couldn't just be one because one without the other would cause us to be Imbalanced and would make us Pharisees and Sadducees. So I began to look at this. Uh, where did Jesus quote this from? And I did a research in the Bible and I found that there's not a direct quote in the Old Testament where Jesus is quoting from. Actually, there are two different places that were said several times. The first commandment was said several times in the Old Testament. The second commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself, is also found in the Old Testament several times, but they were not together in the same text. Do you understand me? So he didn't quote part A and part B from the same text. He took one part of the law from one area, one part of the law from another area, and put it together and said, these are the two greatest commandments. Isn't that interesting? So let's go here and take a look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting at verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 30, and let's look at the first part, starting with verse 11. For this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, somebody say, say, Say. that thou shouldest say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But, The word is nigh thee in thy mouth and in thy heart. Say, in my mouth. In my mouth and in my heart. Thou thou mayest do it. You notice the mouth and the heart are connected. As I was meditating on this, I kind of imagined it like, you know, the tongue is is maybe like uh, the lever for the heart, you know, that the, the tongue is kind of connected to the heart and the, the, the tongue is, the, is, the, le- is, is the, the lever for the heart. For as you thinketh in your heart, you speak. That's why when people sometimes joke, you can find out what they really think. Not all the time, because I, I used to think it was all the time, but I've realized sometimes people are just really joking, you know. But... Oftentimes when people joke, they actually believe that. They actually think that about you or about that person. Because what's in your heart, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So we're going to check today what's really in your heart. And I want to challenge you today to see what's really in your heart. Because out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth will speak. So oftentimes when somebody's joking, you could see what they're believing, what they're thinking about you or somebody else, whatever. Let's go down to verse 15. We'll read 15 to 19. It says, see, same chapter. See that I have set before thee this day life and good and death 
and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep all his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. Say live and multiply. Hallelujah. God has always desired for us to have life, abundant life, and to multiply. Hallelujah. He wants us to multiply, to reproduce. Hallelujah. To have more than you had before. Hallelujah. If you had the same salary that you had last year, you need to ask the Lord, what's wrong? I need multiplication. Hallelujah. Multiplication is my right. It's my covenant. It's the will of God for me. Do you hear me? And multiply. See, the reason why we don't multiply is because we don't know that it's our rights. We don't know that it's our covenants. We don't know that it's the will of God for us to multiply. But it is the will of God to multiply. And the Lord, thy God, shall bless thee. That word bless means to empower to prosper. To empower to prosper. It says that the Lord thy God will bless thee and power to prosper you in the land whithersoever thou goest to possess it. So God wants to bless you where he's planted you. Some of us think the grass is greener on the other side. And we see this a lot in China. A lot of people want to go to America, go to America, go to America. What are you going to do? Make dumplings? We always think the grass is greener on the other side. But God says that he is going to bless you in the land that he plants you. Do you hear me? That means that God could give me the same blessing in America that he could give me in the Congo. Nasco always says, Buyao Congo. Because <laughs> all Elder Miro talks about is going to Congo, going to Congo. But God can bless you just as much in New Zealand as he can in China. God will bless you where he plants you. But if you plant yourself, you can't expect the blessing of God. Do you hear me? But he says he'll multiply you, he'll bless you in the land that he plants you. Whithersoever thou goest to possess it. But if thy heart turn away, that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over the Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. And I have set before you life and death. Say life and death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, in case you don't know which one you want, choose life that both thee, thou and thy seed may live. Choose life that you and your seed will live. In other words, your sins or your obedience will have a direct relation to what happens to your children. You think that your sin is just between you and God? I tell you that's a lie. Your sin has a direct impact upon your seed and upon your children. You're not just getting away with murder. 
in the spirit realm, you don't get away with nothing. Do you hear me? So he says, choose life and not death, that it may be well with your seed. Do you hear me? In other words, God has given everybody a chance. God has given everybody life. He has given everyone a chance to death. He has given everyone a choice. Now, let me tell you a secret. God will never make you to be against what his will is. So if it's God's will for you to be holy, God will never make you unholy. See, some people embrace sin as part of the way God made them. Well, that's just the way God made me. I'm a playboy. Or that's just the way God made me. I like men or I like women or I like, you know, I exaggerate a little bit. That's just the way God made me. God would never make you against his own will. That's a deception. God has made you to function the way that he designed you to function as a child of God. If you, if you look at Genesis 1.26, the Bible says God made man in his image and in his likeness. Have you ever asked yourself, why did God make us in his image and in his likeness? I've actually never asked myself that. And I had a revelation last night when I was meditating on the word of God. Why would God make you in his image, in his likeness? Let's, let's see. Somebody, somebody, let's see if you get anyone gets the revelation that I got last night. Let me hear some. Why would God make you in his image, in his likeness? The relationship. Good. That's it right there. It's our PhD got it. Hallelujah. God made you in his image and in his likeness because he wanted you to represent him. He wanted you to represent him in the earth, so he made you to look like him. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. My son looks like me. And when he goes into the coffee shop with 20 kwai and says, where's daddy's latte? They know who he is because he looks just like me. You see what I'm saying? God made you in his image and in his likeness because you were to represent God in the earth. But we've fallen so far from that that when Jesus came back to the earth, he was always frustrated and stressed out and exhausted with his disciples. He was always angry and said, have not I been with you this long? And have not I told you? And what's wrong with you? He was always frustrated with them because they weren't acting like who God made them to be. When they saw there was no food. And they were all afraid. Oh, dear Lord, there's 5,000 people here plus women and children. How are we going to feed them? He was, he was frustrated with their unbelief, the Bible says. Why? Because they weren't acting like God created them to act. They were to represent God to the people. They were to take the bread themselves and bless it and break it and take a step of faith and see God multiply things through them. They were to represent God to the people. That's why God created us in his image, in his likeness. But instead, they began to say, oh, master, we don't have enough food. And they began to speak out of their mouth what they believed in their heart. What they believed in their heart was there was a shortage, that there wasn't enough. 
that God wasn't able to provide the needs of the people. And they spoke on that wise. But Jesus didn't have that same thinking, that same feeling, that same thought. Jesus knew that he came to represent the El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough, the God who can supply all the needs of all his children at the same time, the many-breasted one. And Jesus was not moved by that lack or that need. So Jesus now had a difficult task for three years to try and bring and restore the image of God back into his disciples. Take a look here, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 through 21. We're going somewhere today. I'm giving you a lot of bones to chew on on the way to the stake, but we are going somewhere today. Amen. Proverbs 18, 20 through 21 says this, a man's belly shall be satisfied. Hallelujah. I like to say shall be made fat. Hallelujah. Some Chinese people like to just come around me and rub my belly for good luck. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Oh, I feel like since I met you, I've had good luck. Well, that's not because I'm Buddha. That's the anointing. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, you know, not all the Buddhas are fat. Some of the Buddhas are skinny with five heads and stuff, you know. Right? (laughs) A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. Not the fruit of your mother's mouth, your sister's mouth your pastor's mouth, but at some point, you have to begin speaking life into your own life. Your parents could curse you and make a blood oath and live in sin and curse your life, but you can break those things and become the prophet of your own life. Do you hear me? But you want to give your children a head start. When I was in Bible college, people hated all the pastor's kids. Because the pastor's kids had cars and, you know, and money to go play tennis and golf and go out to eat. And all the broke students were jealous of all the rich students that had pastors. The rich kids were all the pastor's kids, you know. So I wasn't hating. I was like, I'm going to go play tennis with my rich friends. Hallelujah. I'm going to go to uh, eat and play golf with them. I'm going to hang out with them. Hallelujah. I'm not going to be angry and point my finger and talk about them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be friends with them because one of these days, my kids are going to be the rich kid. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 But as long as you're hating, you can't participate. Am I right? Amen. So my kids are going to be blessed. So the reason why me and the other kids were poor is because we didn't have that head start. We didn't have parents, most of us poor kids. We were kids that didn't have Christian parents that were first-generation Christians, most of us. So we didn't have parents that served the God and walked with God and walked in the blessing of God. Am I right, Juan? You didn't have parents to do that. And they struggled as a young person. But now his kids have the blessing of a father who served God. They have a head start in life. Amen? Nothing wrong with having a head start. So true enough, your parents might have cursed you and spoke bad about you, but you can give your kids a head start by being the prophet of your own life. So it says a man's belly. Now, this word man is generic, not meaning a man or a woman. The word woman is is a man with a womb. The word female is a male that can carry a fetus. Speaking about mankind, not about a particular sex. 
So it says here, a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruits of And thank you for listening to this message today on War with the Saints. We had to stop the recording at that point, but you might be listening right now and you say, Pastor Joey, I wanted to pray that prayer. If I was there, I would have prayed with you. I'd like to pray right now, as a matter of fact. I'd like to give my life to Jesus Christ. I would like to have God in my life, and I'd like to know Jesus as my Savior and my Lord and surrender my life to Him. You know, repentance means to turn away from your way of doing things and to turn to God's way. We've done things our own way, like they used to say in Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. When I did the 12 steps, they said, your best decisions and your best ways of thinking and your best ways to handle life have gotten you to this situation. And now it's time to trust a higher power. Well, there is no higher power than the God of all the earth. His name is Jehovah, and he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And through him, you can turn from your way of doing things to his way. And his way is the right way because he made you. He made you for a purpose, and he knows exactly what you need to pull out your potential to forgive you of your sins, deliver you from the things that keep you away from God in a sin and death cycle. And if you'd open up your heart to him right now, together with me, God can begin a new work in your life. So just pray with me wherever you're at, whether you're driving your car, whether you're at home, or wherever you are, just, just pray with me. And repeat after me. Say, Father, I come to you now. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. I believe that your son died for my sins. And on the third day, He was raised from the dead. From this day forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer. I'd like you to contact me. And we can send you some more resources and materials that can help you start this new life. Because this is the first day of the rest of your life. Email me at joe at nationsabroad.com. Or email the church at nfcontact at gmail.com. And we'd love to speak with you and just correspond with you and put you on the right path. Maybe help you find some local churches there online or something. Or maybe we know some pastors there that could follow up with you and help teach you the Word of God. Thank you for listening. And feel free to download the other podcasts and just feed on the Word of God.